Hello and welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. Can I begin by thanking you again for your incredible support? I'm getting messages from pilgrims all around the world and I love to hear from them. Their enthusiasm, our enthusiasm, is infectious. I smile for hours at the thought of someone on the Camino or somewhere around the world listening to the podcast, fanning the flames of friendship, care and love. The Camino de Santiago is a series of pilgrimages across Europe or the world, culminating at Santiago de Compostela in northwest Spain. Pilgrims walk to visit the remains of Christ's Apostle St. James, interred in the majestic cathedral in Santiago's Obradoro Square. This year, more than 300,000 pilgrims will collect at Compostela a record of their achievement. Pilgrims walk from Rome, from the Netherlands, from the UK, from Poland, from Portugal. The majority, though, begin their pilgrimage in the French hamlet of Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port on the eastern side of the Pyrenees. And the Camino is an ancient path. That path can offer so much to those who walk. The chance for renewal, for space and time, for the chance to slow down and escape the rat race for a few weeks, to meet people from all around the world, to celebrate life, to mend. We all need fixing was the American singer-songwriter Leonard Cohen who said, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Well, my guest this week is Bradley Chermside. He's a British pilgrim whose first Camino changed his life. He returned to the UK a different man and decided to put pen to paper. The book is called The Only Way Is West and it's out now. The subtitle is A Once-in-a-Lifetime Adventure Walking 500 Miles on Spain's Camino de Santiago. It's brilliant. I absolutely loved it. Brad's on the line from just off the Mediterranean. Welcome, Pilgrim. Thank you very much. I was captivated by that intro, Dan. Absolutely beautiful. Carry on. Tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) Now, look, before we get to the book, and I won't give away too much, because it would ruin it for my listeners, your potential readers, but just let's begin by a simple question. Tell us how and when the Camino entered your life. Okay, so um, it was um, for the first time uh, I kind of met with a friend of mine coincidentally on the London Underground, a friend at that time that I hadn't seen for three years and I'd got onto the wrong train. And <laughs> I, I darted off the train. Uh, it was a London Underground train. Darted off the train um, to get, obviously, the, the train back the other way. And as I did, I heard someone call my name. And it was someone that had been on that train. And it turned out to be my old roommate from university, a guy, a German guy called Julian. And um, we had a good chat. And he told me all about the Camino. And he said, oh, you'd love it. You should do this. And, um, yeah, I mean, he had me at uh, adventure, you know, I love an adventure. And um, I was I was just like I was captivated by your intro, I was captivated by what he told me about it. And sooner rather than later, I was um, booking my ticket and packing my bags to go. 
The book is 260 pages following your first Camino from St. Jean to Santiago. It's a funny, it's funny read. You laugh out loud. It makes you cry in parts. There's suspense and it's a terrific sub story as well. And then there's the personal journey, which I think in many ways is the greatest aspect of the book. And I read Brad with a highlighter in my hand. It's a habit from being a radio producer. And I, I just want to go through, if I may then, a handful of observations you make in the book. Again, I won't, okay. give, I won't give away any of the plot or the outcome, but some of the things I highlighted provide, I think, a snapshot of your journey, your Camino in Spain, and in many ways mm-hmm. in life as well. Now, you'd, you'd only been walking for a day or so, and you, you got to the top of the Pyrenees, and you wrote this. And if my listeners are wondering how the book is written and what style it's written in, this gives you a perfect example. You say this, At sundown, back out in the great wide open, I trudged up to another church where I was dazzled by breathtaking views stretching to the French border 70 kilometres back. Gazing out at the smooth, arching contours of the Pyrenees aglow in the pitchy embers of sunset at the meadows of sunflowers swaying down below, I could beat my chest and proudly say I walked the lot. They say it's better to celebrate how far you've come rather than worry about how far you've still got to go. So even though you'd only really just begun your Camino, you realised or sensed something very special was happening, didn't you? Um, I mean, I, I felt something special. It just gives me goosebumps just you reading that out to me and remembering that moment because uh, I sensed something special was happening, I think, the moment I started trudging up the Pyrenees from Saint-Jean-Pierre-de-Port on the first day, I mean, there's just something so magical about it. And without wanting to sound cliche or cheesy, an escape to nature and the, the high energy, the high vibration and just disconnecting from devices and technology, it instantly turns that on. And the longer you keep that on, the longer you feel you fill up with that pure energy. And I think that was probably the third day that you're mentioning there um, in the place called Cesar Menor, which is just after Pamplona. Um, and I just, yeah, I remember looking at that moment, just going up to that church and just looking back and, and, and thinking, this is the best thing I've ever done in my life. And I think from that moment on, uh, I was addicted to the Camino and, and always will be, to be honest with you. I'm always thinking, when can I get back there? When's the next Camino? In a message book in Los Arcos, you wrote, I believe life is about learning to build up enough love and power inside yourself so you have enough love to give to others. And in your book, you wrote, slow dancing daily with the elements, walking for hours on end, something I'd never done before amplified those positive physical and mental effects. It was like a slow-burning, more fulfilling happiness. Was that a realisation at the time, Brad, or was that something, mm-hmm. a reflection that you wrote when you got home? This, it was like a slow-burning, more fulfilling happiness. I think it was definitely something that I realised at the time and then when you get home and, start, and those of your Camino and your pilgrimage start to dissipate and that high energy that you feel on the Camino 
life kind of can, if you allow it to, it can slowly drain that high energy and high vibration out of you. And um, I think when that happens, you look back to that moment and you think, okay, what did I do in that moment that made me feel good? And what do I need to do again? Um, so it was definitely, you know, I just remember thinking to myself, I haven't had my mobile, my mobile phone switched on for, I think I was probably 10 days into it more or less at that point. Um, and just the, how good it feels not to have that. It's like an annoying little child trying to get your attention all the time, your mobile phone. I'm not saying that children are annoying, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but I used to be a school teacher and sometimes you had your challenges. <laughs> so, um, and uh, by the way, I'm not a parent, but I can't wait to be a parent. But anyway, um, so yeah, I um, it's definitely something I realised at the time. And those little changes that you make, those subtle little changes that you make to your daily routines, uh, but the powerful effects that, that they have. And one of those is not having your mobile phone with you. I mean, I, I, had, a, I had a digital camera because I just made sure that I didn't want my mobile switched on at any moment because we are tempted to go for that because, you know, every time we, we check our phone, we get a little shot of dopamine, which is, you know, it's quite addictive, though we, we don't even know about it. And that's why, you know, phone designers design them the way they do. So we keep going back to them. And if you turn it off and put it at your bottom of your bag and you've and that that temptation has gone away, you do listen to the, you know, to the birds, to the trees, to the noises, you, you become part of your surroundings and, and that is the slow burning happiness, the being in the moment, and it, it's it's invaluable. Yeah, we we can hear um, bird song listening to you now. So where are you exactly? Yeah, yeah. well, I'm, I've tried to go to a place where it would be quiet. I, I'm on the road, as I told you uh, yeah. before we we started this interview for my job, um, and uh, I'm just in my hotel, but I'm surrounded by trees and lemon trees, basically. I'm in um, Andalusia. Andalusia, fantastic. Mojacar, right Moja. on the coast. As your Camino progressed, you found yourself singing the Genesis song, Afterglow. <laughs> and the lyrics say, like the dust that settles all around me, I must find mm-hmm. a new home. The ways and holes that used to give me shelter are all as one to me now. But I, I would search everywhere just to hear your call and walk upon stranger roads than this one in a world I used to know before. I miss you more. And you wrote, all that I believed before was now being challenged and turned upside down. And in the book you said, it struck me how the strange road I'd walked upon wasn't actually where I was right now. It was my meaningless pre-Camino life and every shallow aspect of my existence. So, you were kind of shedding your skin, weren't you? Yeah, that's a really good way of uh, describing it. And I think I was, yeah. I think it was um, It was definitely a coming of age. It was definitely four weeks, five weeks of, of self-realisation and, and facing the music and, you know, staring. It was like, you know, I was like I was walking along Camino and there was just mirrors all around me because all I saw was myself and what I needed to do to move on and progress in my life. And I, that was that was one of the reasons I walked the Camino because I had some career conundrums. My love life was in a mess and I needed to have some headspace and remove from that. And so that, you know, that's definitely the case, Dan. 
Yeah. And by the time you had arrived in Lorogno, you were making observations like the richest man is he who needs to be least, uh, needs the least to be happy. And you said, I feel like a billionaire. So, I mean, that's quite an extraordinary observation for somebody so early into the journey. What was that like, that feeling? Do you remember? This so- I do, Something yeah. I super exactly special is happening. Is yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was in uh, Vienna, which is just before Logroño. And I think I say in the book that all you, you're looking, what you're looking for is um, when, when, you know, when you've been walking for, for uh, 20 kilometres throughout the morning and, you know, the heat's beating down on you, the sun's coming, it's so hot, the ground's burning through your boots and burning the skin in your feet. And you think, I just need to take a break. And then you see shade. Uh, you see trees, you see grass, and you see a water fountain. You're like, that is all I need to be happy. And then you go and you just plonk your backpack down and you lay underneath a tree and you drink your sandwiches that you made the night before and you, you're having some cold water. I mean, normally you might want, you might want I don't know, like a beer to be happy or a fizzy drink, but because you've been walking so far and you've been depriving yourself of all these luxuries and indulgences and all of a sudden a cold water just makes you feel like the king of the road and it's that sensation of the Camino continually that you get and yeah I think it's just by removing those indulgences and luxuries that everything just the the effects of normal everyday things you might turn your nose up nose up at all of a sudden is amplified and and everything's just got a new significance and a new meaning. And I love that about the Camino. Yeah, and, and going back a step, when we talked before about the mobile phone, indeed, you said that you made a note to incorporate a period of digital detox into your post-Camino life. How are you going with that? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, I've become actually very, very good at it. I mean, when I wake up in the morning... I don't turn my phone on for the first hour. That's for sure. Um, when I'm walking the dog, again, the, ph- the phone goes away from me. Just taking a break from it and at least at least half hour before going to bed, I also turn it off as well. I mean, that doesn't sound like a lot, but I think I, I do mention in the book that Recent studies have shown that we look at our phones 150 times yeah. a day. Yeah, I mean that's shock. It's shocking. It's absolutely shocking when you when you think about it. So just incorporating those those moments of digital detox, and digital disconnection, it does. It is renewing. It does re-energize you, and and I just feel some kind of relief when when I don't have my phone with me and for example if I'm going out to dinner with with Rachel my my lovely lady I say to Rachel put my phone in your handbag put it in airplane mode I don't want to be disturbed I don't want it so it's just making those again small little changes that will have a really positive effect and and um you know we're, we're all human we're all human and there are times where the phone will get the better of us but I do really feel like I'm in a daily battle with my phone my battle saying look at me my phone saying look at me and I'm thinking no leave me alone so I do make sure a lot of the time during the day is out of sight and out of mind you write in the book that the the devices have reduced the human attention span to eight seconds I mean mm-hmm. that really is frightening I, I, I had this 
this kind of debate with people, it's a really, really interesting thing, you know, because most pilgrims will be able to identify with this stuff. Um, the, there's an issue of weight when we walk, obviously. Uh, the less we carry on our back, the, 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 the freer we are and the easier our passage is. Um, and I wrote on, um, on a blog a Camino kit list that we should, obviously this is all optional. It's just my own personal choice that I wouldn't, I would carry a digital camera with me and a dictaphone. Obviously the cameras take pictures and a dictaphone just to record my thoughts and anything I want to, to document along the way. And I did get a kind of, I'd say trolled, I would say on some Camino forums by some fellow pilgrims saying, oh, that's a problem with weight. Um, you know, I understand their point, but, to me, the, the benefits of carrying, of not carrying my mobile phone in my pocket and having it in the back of my, in the bottom of my bag, outweigh the benefits of having my mobile phone with me because obviously it's just that that clearer state of mind. And I don't mind having a little bit, the extra weight, whichever that might, might be, of like I don't know, um, twenty grams or something of, of a mobile phone and a dictaphone over the mobile, you know. So. Um, I would recommend to get the most out of your Camino definitely to turn off your phone put it in the bottom of your, of your bag but again then again it is personal choice it's optional yeah, walking the Masetta you found the going tough and to keep your cool you remembered a mindfulness mantra that you learned doing yoga and it, it says where attention goes energy flows I think that's a lesson we could learn in a wider sense couldn't we brad most definitely most definitely especially if you obviously anywhere in life it's um you know what we what we pay our attention to can again like we say take up a lot of our time and, and energy and um i think that's been a really useful lesson especially mentally that you can take your take ownership of your thoughts and if you do realize you're on a negative train of thought then you consciously switch that and you make sure even if you're not feeling it that you say something positive to yourself like for example it's not really related to the well it can be related to the Camino actually yeah because when I was trudging along I can't remember where the road was but there's a road between that I think it's towards the end of the Meseta um, Hospital de Orbigo and you're essentially walking between a motorway an autopista and uh, some fertilised farmland and the, you know you've got the chemicals of the farmland next to you you've got the traffic and the exhaust fumes and you're you know you're starting to I don't know trip over your feet because you're tired and I remember saying to myself stronger powerful stronger powerful with each step to keep going and even though you're feeling tired, you're putting your attention on being stronger and powerful. Your energy flows into that. So it's like just like a, you know, a, a mind game, but a mind, a positive mind game. So, yeah, it's definitely a, a trick of the trade then. Yeah. Yeah. And some days you really pushed yourself hard. It dawned on you that by the time you'd reached Granyon, you decided that you needed to do a little less walking and a little more growing. Just talk us through that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I think I was I was getting lost in the physical aspect of it more than 
the spiritual aspects, the personal growth aspects. So I, I wanted to make sure that I had enough time to record my thoughts. Um, to, I had lots of melodies kind of, you know, going over in my head, you know, to the beat of the, my boots on the ground. And I wanted to get all those down as well because when you're in that Camino consciousness, you know, you, like I said before, your, vibra your vibration of energy is so high, your clarity of thought is, a, is so clear and you want to record that, you want to bottle that and you want to keep it forever and drink from it whenever you, you know, you re to remember those moments, to get that energy level high again. And, and I think that's what, at that point, I, I felt like I needed to do. I was walking a lot. I was going from 20K to 25 to 30 to 35 because I always like to push myself. And I thought to myself, this is not what it's all about. It's not about trying to beat how many kilometers you did yesterday is it's about growing personally as well and and getting to know yourself better and in the end i actually did know myself better through pushing myself physically but at that point in my journey i was i was really needing to get down what i was going through my head and all my dictaphone commentaries and journal entries and a lot of people were, were socializing a lot more than i was and i'm actually a very social person but because I was so tired at the end of every day. I only had enough energy, really, to cook my food in the communal kitchen of the Alberg and just slump onto my bed and fall asleep. Yeah. You met a Frenchman walking the Camino in bare feet. I did, yeah. Yeah, barefoot Bernard. Yeah, interesting guy. Absolutely. I mean, the reason he was walking the Camino barefoot was because he wanted the energy of the earth. And he... And He's contacting with the energy of the earth and, you know, the supposedly ley lines, which, you know, can't be confirmed or denied. But, you know, these spiritual centers, these high energy, we can call them wires going underneath the ground, you know, and they, they say that they cause an explosion of emotion, spiritual energy. And I think this guy was was plugged in. Definitely. Tell us about learning that your Mayan sign was Cosmic Warrior. And that's the first part of the question. <laughs> the second part of the question was, how does the title sit with you now? Um, to be honest with you, I think I write in the book, and I, I was, I, I mean, to many it would seem like kind of some mystical mish, mishmash, but, um, you know, it was this guy, a barefoot Barnard, that, that he sat me down, we were at the Aulberg in Burgos, and we we was uh, I was with two other lovely pilgrims, uh, Irish Peter, American Sierra, amazing guys. We, I called them the the Fantastic Three, and they they were inseparable the whole Camino, and I really really loved these guys. So we sat down in um, outside the the Aulberg in Burgos. The trees are hissing and swaying all around us. Saturday evening. And he, he sits across the table from me, looks me in the eye, and he says to me, I'm going to tell you your Mayan star sign, which is kind of like, I don't know, the Mayan equivalent of the Gregorian calendar, yeah, calendar yeah, uh, sorry, yeah. star sign. So my, I'm a Sagittarius, and this is the Mayan equivalent, and I'm the cosmic warrior. And I can't remember exactly what he told me I was. It was the, the, the I had to question free will without intelligence you probably, if I have the book in front of me I can tell you what it was but that's what it was and, and it was very interesting to listen listen to very captivating just like your intro um, and so I am 
I am the cosmic warrior, basically, according to Mayan, uh, Mayan, Mayan astrology. So you can make of that what you will. And you can learn a little bit more about yourself in, in times to come. Oh, well, what does, yeah, the, what does the cosmic I, I, warrior make of all of this? Exactly. <laughs> uh, and and uh, my, my um, fellow, fellow pilgrim, Irish Peter, was um, the... The man, he was the planetary magician. That was his sign. He was the planetary magician. I like that, the planetary so, magician. Yeah, in, in, yeah. Maybe, maybe you can put an extra ring around Saturn or something. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> in Burgos, it dawned on you that surpassing self-imposed physical and mental limits had convinced you you could now achieve anything you put your mind to and how the generosity you'd been blessed with on the Camino made you believe more than ever in the kindness of the human spirit, why? Um, to answer, I'll answer the second question first. Um, I think I was just bestowed with so much generosity by, by people along the way. I think I do mention that in the book that I could see how people, certain pilgrims, decide to try to authenticate their journey by walking penniless. And I could see how that was possible because I was just given food and, and so many points along the way by people I'd never met before. And it wasn't like I was even asking for it or looking for it. They're just like, I, like for example, in Burgos, there was a, a party of locals and they just came and donated this giant pan of paella to, to the outbird for pilgrims. And everyone just obviously, you know, like um, like I said in the book, like um, offering free free food to a pilgrim is like offering vampire blood, um, virgin's blood to a vampire. So everyone just tucked <laughs> in and went for it, you know. So, you know, I lost my face in that. So, um, yeah, absolutely, you know, and, and that, that generosity that people bestow upon you along the way, that's why really um, – and you just – you get talking to people and the people, the, the pilgrims you meet, they they just bear their their secrets or their their questions or what what they're searching for. They a lot of people bear them to you in the, within the first hour of knowing them. You're walking through a forest over a carpet of pine needles, and they tell you their innermost secrets. And and I think just that connection makes you feel that human spirit. You met a shepherd, a real shepherd. It was early in I the did, morning, yeah. and you said in the book, just knowing he was out with me in that desolate, secluded work made me feel safer. Why did you feel so vulnerable that morning? I think, you know, um, fear is based on, on the unknown, isn't it? And when that, that was my first morning in the Meseta, and it, it's quite daunting to anybody, for anybody the Meseta, to go out and walk for... I think it stretches out for 200-odd kilometres, doesn't it, between yeah. Burgos and Leon. And, I, yeah, that that is that's daunting for anybody. So when I was taking my first steps, everyone's talking about it, aren't they? They're like, oh, no, the Meseta's coming up. It's five days. It's just flat terrain. The sun's going to be beating down on you. There's no shade. You know, food and water's going to be sparse. You're not going to find many shops to buy your food so you've got to make sure you stock up and all of this stuff it fills you with a little bit of dread so yeah and then knowing that this guy here this shepherd 
he knows the land. He could, you know, he survived out here for years. If he can do it, I can do it. And I just remember exchanging a, a Buenos Dias with him at early doors that morning. His sheep were bleating and the dog was barking. And I just, it, you know, it was a poignant moment and it, it really filled me with those, you know, those tingles, those goosebumps, the, you know, that shiver up your spine moment. In Relagos, which I have found twice to be a town with a very weird energy, you wrote, I stop feeling sorry for myself and think more clearly. I contemplate that, just like life, the Camino is about being thankful for all that you have and learning something from the great people you meet along the way. It's about remaining positive, looking forward to what lies ahead, and believing your best days are yet to come. It's about wearing on your sleeve the Camino motto, Altrea, move forward with courage. It's easier to feel like that on the Camino than in day-to-day life. Actually, living and breathing at 24-7, 365 days a year is kind of a challenge. So let me ask you this. How do you keep yourself mindfully fit now? That's a really good question. Um... Fitness is a big thing for me, um, so I, I like to be active. I've got a very uh, dodgy knee at the moment because I was uh, I did it, busted it in the gym, so I'm um, not able to do any running, so I'm just doing a bit of swimming, lots of weights, a bit of surfing, because where I live in Tenerife, it's called the Hawaii of Europe. Um, so, But relating to the Camino and the lessons that I learned from the Camino, it, <clears throat> I think I'm going to go back to a previous question. That is definitely keeping my mobile phone, being in charge of my mobile usage, um, daily meditation. I, I do some breathing exercises daily. Something called um, HRV, biofeedback, biofeedback. And it's where you breathe in for four seconds, you hold your breath for one second, then breathe out for six seconds. Um, and that, it... When in that pause between breath, that sends some calming influence through your body and, and it's calming influence on the mind. So um, exercises like that on, on a daily basis. Um, and I think my, my, um, my personal development guru is a guy called Zig Ziglar. He's, he's passed oh, away yeah. now. But yeah, yeah. If you've never heard of Zig, I never look him up. I mean, the, guy he's just a genius and you know he says you know motivation and and personal development is you need to wash yourself with it every day like wash your mind with it every day just like you wash your body so stuff like that self-talk affirmations I, I dip into all of them on different days depending on how I feel because I'm a person actually that, that I am a very uh, uh, I'm a nervous, anxious person um, with this, and I, I, that I can know myself better now, and I, I employ these tactics and techniques to make sure I keep a hold of that, and I'm, I'm on top of it, because if you are complacent, it can get on top of you. So, yeah, it says, the, the quote is, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. So exercises like that, and again, dipping back into the Camino, shall we say, manual for life, because you do get a toolbox for life on the Camino. I go for a walk a lot, Dan. I like walking. I'll just go and walk for an hour. 
even if it's just up up the hill, I'll just go and walk up the hill and walk back. And you know, anything that's on your mind, all of a sudden, can any questions you get answers to them. Tell us about walking at midnight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking of anxiety. <laughs> um, yeah, that was that was fun up to a point. Um, I was in Leon and I've met a Danish guy and I, I was walking the Camino. I thought, right, well, I've walked in the morning when the sun is obviously not at its strongest. But, you know, I've walked in the afternoon when the sun's at, at, at its zenith. But I haven't walked at night and it was on my mind this, you know, I want to walk at night, I want to see what that's like. So in, in Leon, I met a Danish guy called Tor, a fantastic guy, brilliant lad. And, um, you know, we got chatting and I said, do you want to walk at night with me? He said, yep, let's do it. And he wanted to have some sleep first. So he said, we're going to sleep and then we're going to leave the, the Alberta at three in the morning. So we'll have about three or four hours of walking in the darkness. Anyway, we realised that there was a noble night silence that they closed the doors for the the um, the Alberta, which is a monastery. So uh, I said to Tor, let's let's just go before they close the doors. And he said he couldn't do it because he needed to get some sleep. You know, that's a very very sensible thing to say, and I probably <laughs> should have done the same. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I should have probably should have followed suit. But I had the big idea that I was going to do this no matter what. So I quickly packed my bag bags, bolted through the door of the Alberg at 9.27, three minutes before they closed. And it was interesting because I had a night to actually observe and absorb Spanish culture. And it was nice to see, I think this is when I, I fell in love in, with Spain as well, just how people go for a stroll at night time. They're, they're, all, they're all dressed to impress. And, and it's just such a, a lovely social atmosphere you know there's a electric vibe in the air and i saw the city and and um, you know people sat at the cafes on the terraces and that was my my first impression of the of the spanish night and then i was thinking i was a bit scared to, to venture into the countryside that's beyond leon and then i remembered a line from jack kerouac's book you know um outside the glittering city is the west i had to go and so I re- re- replaced my flip-flops with my boots and got walking. And, yeah, that, I was walking alongside the motorway as well. And, yeah, I, I, like I said, I'm quite an anxious person, actually. And um, I had all these different stories that someone was going to pull over and murder me and do all, you know, running through my head. I walked for underneath um, subways that, were, you know, not, that weren't lit. And in the end, I just collapsed um, in a church tower. Um, about, I'd say it was maybe 11, 12 kilometres, something like that, beyond Leon, and slept till, till lights, till daybreak, yeah. As you neared Santiago, you wrote, I couldn't bear the fact that this adventure was coming to an end, and I was having too good a time to think about how to change my life for the better when I got home. So, Brad, was there a sense of panic, in a way, that you didn't want to waste this opportunity? I think it's, it's hard to go back, isn't it, to, to civilian life when you've been living like a pilgrim. It's frightening. It's frightening because you, you become addicted to that energy. You become addicted to the lifestyle. Um, and I think I do write in my final chapter that when I got home, I, I couldn't bear it. I, I hated being home. I, I struggled. I didn't like my job. I wasn't. The, it's going to sound cheesy and cliche again, but 
I wasn't the same person that left for the Camino when I came back. I had evolved and all of a sudden that lifestyle wasn't a fit for me anymore. But trying to find the life that was a suit for that new approach to life was was really hard. That was so, that was the, I mean, the, the, the Camino was the highest point of my life, without a doubt. You know, I was free from mental self-harm. I, I felt indestructible. And when I came home, that drained away and it drained out of me. And, um, yeah, it, it was tough. It was really, really tough finding my feet again. And, and it clearly has had a massive impact on you, not least of which the fact that you've written this very, very good book. But you've also been back three times, haven't you? Yeah, I've had to. I couldn't. I couldn't. Well, I went back the, f- the following year because I just had to go back and, and connect with that energy again. Um, and I've been and done the, the Camino Portugues as well. Um, and I've done that with my lovely lady, Rachel, as well, which has been fantastic. Because she, you know, seeing my book and, and writing about it, she's like, wow, I'd love, really love to do it. And, you know, for anyone who's not done the Camino Portugues, I'd really recommend it it's so different to the Camino Frances but it's it's amazing it is amazing Portuguese people are so hospitable they're so humble and they're so intelligent they're they're just lovely you know a, a young Irish pilgrim that you met had been told to walk by his parish priest and the pastor mm-hmm. said to him the Camino is a crash course of life lessons in a month it teaches you how to deal with anything life can throw at you. And I think that's a very good explanation of our collective journeys, isn't it? It is, most definitely. Like I said, because I mean, all the things we've talked about, all the lessons of the road, you can apply them to your daily life. I mean, there's the fitness lessons of just going for a walk, you know, and and, and clearing your mind, getting some headspace. Um, there's, there's so many lessons along the Camino. I think, uh, you know, the, the lesson I mentioned before about removing indulgences and luxuries and then things you'd normally turn your nose up at becoming something, you know, something wondrous. And there's, you know, there's so many lessons along the way. I think I mentioned in Burgos, you know, when I'm writing in an email, kind of all my reflections of the road so far. And, um, and I say about how comfort had become my enemy as well. You know, that was another lesson I learned that comfort can be an enemy. You know, partners in crime with sloth and procrastination. And, uh, you know, just knowing that about yourself and about life is being careful not to allow yourself to get attached to those luxuries as well. And having some time where you, you might not allow yourself those luxuries, one, to maybe get something done, and two, to appreciate them more as well. Yeah, yeah, great answer. A woman you met in St. Jean-Peter-Port said, every now and then you have to frighten yourself to feel alive. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, going back, and I said now you've walked four Caminos, going back and, and looking back now, is there less fear? Um, I think what she meant by that was, you know, you step outside your comfort zone. Mm. Um, and there's definitely a conscious decision that I make probably more often than I need to, 
to step outside of my own comfort zone. And the Camino is definitely something outside of everybody's comfort zone. You know, let's be honest, the Albergs aren't comfortable. Um, <laughs> they're, they're anything but. That's right. And there was many times when I preferred to sleep rough than sleep in a Camino, if I'm yeah. being honest with you. Uh, sleep, sleep in an Alberg, sorry. Mm. Um, but that's not to say I don't appreciate the Albergs, but sometimes you're like, oh, there's 50 people snoring, um, or I could spend the night listening to the crickets, you know, um, clicking their way through the night. Um, so, and, you know, the beds are uncomfortable, but that's all part of the journey. That, Like I said, that, that makes you appreciate your own bed when you go home, in your own bedroom. Um, so, yeah, I think she means just step outside your comfort zone, really, and, and there's definitely, again, that's another lesson of the, the Camino. There's a great line in the book, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. I love that because there's a little bit of that in all of us, isn't there? Most definitely, yeah. We've all done, we've all done things we probably wouldn't do again in, in, in the future. Um, but I think that the whole point of that, that line is, is acceptance, to accept everybody and accept yourself most importantly. You say that the Camino made you stronger, wiser, more confident, indestructible, free from all worry and the psychological self-harm consuming you. Have yeah. you have you healed? Um, yes, I think there's no doubt about that. That um, I'm, I think I'm a person that, that battles. I have psychological battles and I know them. I know my, my psychological nemesis. I know who they are, I know what they are. And the Camino definitely gives you some tools to go to war with them. There's no doubt about that. Um, so I am definitely in a better place than I ever have been. And without doubt, a lot of that is thanks to, to the Camino experiences and lessons and insights and revelations. You, you and I are kindred spirits. We're both working musicians, and you were working last night. Um, yes, so that's hence the croaky voice. Yeah, yeah. So, so just b before we finish, what song did you finish with last night? Oh, if I tell you that, people aren't gonna, people aren't going to like me anymore. Go on. <laughs> what did you finish with? Ah, oh, okay, sweet Caroline. I love it. Ba, 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 ba. Ba. Well, why not? <laughs> I play it every single it's gig. It's a floor filler. It's a floor filler. You have to. Every it's a gig. Not to. Now look. Yeah. Now you and I are definitely kindred spirits. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with the music. Good luck with the book. Good luck with the life, the love, the future. The day will come when I'll sing harmonies for you, maybe. And you can yeah, do that. Yeah, that would be great. We should definitely collaborate. Yeah, we should definitely you, collaborate. You can do yeah. the same for me. Buen Camino, Brad, and congratulations on a wonderful book, a fantastic Thank achievement. Thank you very much. And I'll tell my listeners where they can get a copy. They ought to go out and buy it because not only is it a great personal story, it's also a great story about the Camino as well. And there are lots of Thanks, in, insights into different places and different ways to go and all sorts of stuff. It's magic. Congratulations, Brad. Buen Camino. Thank you very much for having me, Dan. Thanks for reading the book, and I'm really grateful for this opportunity to relive my Camino again. You're an absolute saint. Thank you very much, mate. My guest this week, Bradley Chermside, and you can buy Brad's book on Amazon, and you can find Brad at bradleychermside.com, bradleychermside.com. And just a, a reminder, 
The book is available, as I said, on Amazon. It's called The Only Way is West. It's out now. The subtitle, A Once-in-a-Lifetime Adventure Walking 500 Miles on Spain's Camino de Santiago. I always have a quote to start and finish, and this week the songwriter and performer Leonard Cohen said there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Walk upon the street.